The following presentation is part of the six-week Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation class offered at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. We'll do a little sitting right at the beginning, then I'll share a little bit, and then we'll have a longer sit later in the evening. So it's always nice to appreciate the settling In a perfect world, we would find a really safe place to do our practice, away from duties and responsibilities for a time, knowing that we don't have to dwell on the past or think about the future now. That can be done at another time. Listen to the body, make adjustments. Although it won't be perfect, we do our best to feel stable in the sitting posture and relatively relaxed, relatively comfortable, sense of uprightness in the spine in a way that works for our body. So there's a sense of sitting up right in the middle of our experience, this quality of fearlessness, so we're not afraid to feel, not afraid to see what we see. If you'd like, you can close the eyes lightly or keep them open, either way is okay. So one way to bring about a sense of safety is to adjust one's attitude at the beginning of a sitting period. And it can be quite simple, just the reflection, I care about this life. So there is a direct and an immediate sense of this mind and body here. We may not know what it is, this mind and body, but we can know, I care about this life. That is accessible. That's a quality or perspective that we can tap into. So you might even want to repeat that phrase in your mind, silently in your mind. I care about this life. Or I care about this body. I care about this heart and mind. care about the way things are now. And of course, remembering it isn't easy being a human being. It isn't easy having a conditioned mind, a mind with strong habits. It isn't easy having a body. It isn't easy being sensitive to what shows up in life. In other words, it isn't easy being a human being, and I care about this life. 
care about this body that's like this now, care about this mind, this heart that's like this. Just notice that the simple, compassionate, kind presence is very stabilizing. We feel, in a sense, safe in our skin, safe in the moment, grounded, So we'll bring this kindly attitude, this warm, affectionate presence, part by part through the body as we've done before. Let's begin by simply opening or receiving the sensations in the head. Simply feel any sensations at the top of the head. No matter how nondescript the sensations might be, I care about these sensations at the top of the head. Even something as simple as the weight of the hair or any pressure below the skull that you might feel. I care about these sensations, the ears and the sides of the head. And a simple and kind presence with the back of the head just as it is now, and the forehead, the air touching the forehead, any tension in the temples and the brow or forehead, kind, clear presence as we open to all the different sensations in the face, starting with the air touching the skin of the face and any tension in the face, any tension around the eyes, around the mouth and jaw. Feel the teeth and the gums, the lips, the tongue and the movement of the breath through the mouth, through the nose. Again, we're practicing this simple, kind presence with the whole head now, the whole face and head together. A real interest, as if this were the very first time it occurred to the mind to notice the experience of the face and head. And then feeling the throat and the entire neck. So we're exploring what it means, what it is to open and receive the experience of the neck and throat in a kind way. So there's both interest and this quality of non-judging holding the sensations, connecting with the sensations in a kind way. Tops of the shoulders, all the way to the shoulder joints, 
So from the sides of the neck, let the attention, this kind attention, soak into the tops of the shoulders. And simply feeling what's ever felt here. And the shoulder joints, of course. And down both arms, simply feeling the different sensations the biceps and the underarms, feeling the clothes against the skin, the elbows, forearms, feel the wrists and the palms. Feeling the back of the hands, the thumbs, index fingers, middle fingers, ring finger, and the pinky. We're just feeling both arms and hands as they actually are now. And we get to practice this kind and simple presence with the arms and hands, receptive and interested, non-controlling, non-interfering. We'll feel the entire torso. So begin at the upper third, the upper chest, upper back. Feel the movement of the rib cage, of course collarbones, and then from the breast down to the middle chest, the shoulder blades, the middle back, sides of the ribs. Feel the movement of the rib cage with the breath. And then the lower chest and the mid-back, kidneys, diaphragm, down into the solar plexus, feeling things as they actually are, kind and patient with the sensations. And the awareness settles deep into the abdomen, all these internal organs here, any gurgling or movement there. All the way to the back of the hips, to the buttocks, into the lower abdomen, the groin, all the way down to the floor of the pelvis. So we're feeling the lower third of the torso and the structure of the hips. What does it mean to be present, to be intimate in this kind way? to be close to the sensations, but also leaving them alone. Feel the whole torso together for a few moments. And then opening to both legs, the thighs, from the hip sockets down into the thighs. Noticing all the touch points, 
the knees. And that simple loving presence with the calves and shins. A willingness to connect with what's ordinary, to be fully there, fully present with the sensations of the calves and the shins. And down into the ankles and heels. The sides and tops of the feet as they are the bottoms of the feet and the toes. And again, a full, kind, patient presence with the whole body. actually trusting or accepting, relaxing with these sensations as they are. Can this be okay, this body? And allow this simple insight to arise in the mind. The sensations of the body are like this. It's just this, these sensations, not more, not less. Can this be okay? To relax, to accept, and to see clearly the sensations as they are now in the body. Everything gets to be included. Remember that gesture if you like. And then adjust your body so you're comfortable. Welcome back everyone. Week three for the intro class. For anybody who's joining in, remember that the handouts for the class, you can go to the website, go to the programs, Look for the introduction to mindfulness class under classes. And in that blurb about this class, you'll find a link that will take you to the eight handouts. So you can get some information about walking meditation practice, the loving kindness practices that relate to mindfulness, that support mindfulness, some background, some of the underlying models coming out of the Buddhist tradition, like how, why meditate, why be mindful. And then some basic instructions for the mindfulness practice that you can refer back to. Also, there's some information about how the center runs, how you can support the center. So all that information is in those handouts. And just let me know if you have any questions about that.
I want to talk a little bit about uh, how we can add some instructions to our basic sitting practice. You know, we start out um, often, many of us at least, we start off recognizing that it's nice, it's really useful to have an anchor because the, the habit of our mind is basically to do whatever it wants, to worry for a little bit, imagine or fantasize about the future for a little bit, wonder what that person is doing next to us for a little bit, you know, complain about the aches and pains in the body for a while. It just sort of flits around, it does all these things, and the mind has gotten in the habit of pretty much doing whatever it wants, not a lot of discipline. And sometimes we have this sense about mindfulness or awareness practice that it's really about letting the mind do whatever it wants. And in a funny way, there's some truth to that, but it's, it's really pointing to uh, uh, the end of practice or a more subtle practice. But in the beginning, it's actually better to think about it in terms of training the mind. We're actually training the mind. And one of the things that we should by now know pretty well is, what is it like having an untrained mind? Because that's the mind that we notice most most of the day. The mind that gets pushed around, goes out of its way for sense delights, panics whenever it imagines something dangerous is nearby, spins. Basically, the mind that does things that are counterproductive. Why did I eat that? You know, why did I spend three hours watching that? Why did I say that to that person? What was I thinking? There's a funny story that one of my teachers told a long time ago, you know, where, you know, we're thinking we've been so good and we feel like we deserve a reward. You know, we got up early, we did some mindful exercise, we sat and meditated, you know, we had a perfect breakfast of wheatgrass juice and whatever you think the perfect breakfast is, prune juice know, an almond, <laughs> you know, and we, we went and helped people in need of help, and we did all these great things, and we're feeling so good about ourselves, and then we think, oh, I can, you know, go do exactly what's not good for us, and we, you know, whatever it is, eating pastries or, you know, wasting our time doing this or that. And so this is how our mind works. It sort of like uh, demands or has this idealized picture of being a perfect human being. And we whip up enough inspiration and we move a little in that direction. And then the, the shadow comes up, you know, and we just want to do just the opposite. We want to buy a Hummer and we want to, you know, live in a gated community and we want to drink and, you know, do all the bad things. So, seeing this about our mind, we realize, like just getting pushed around by our habit energies makes us want to, well, how might I train this mind? And it's not about controlling the mind. That's part of that being pushed around by the mind. It's sort of a push-pull. Like the sort of inner parent comes out and says, you should, you should do this, do this. 
this would be good for you. And then the inner rebel comes out and says, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And there's this stressful interaction between the different you know, patterns in the mind or the different orientations in the mind. So mindfulness is a different approach from just letting things rip. Anything goes, is okay. I'm just going to do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. And no, I'm going to get my act together. Finally, finally, I'm now 56. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to exercise in the morning. I'm going to sit, meditate. I'm going to be good. There's so much stress in that push and pull. So we realize we need to train the mind. And that training is recognizing when that controlling attitude is going on, there's a controlling attitude going on. So we're actually seeing what that is. It's not about controlling the controlling attitude, right? That would be just more of the same. But it's about understanding when the mind, when the attitude is a controlling attitude, that that's what's happening. And when there's a sort of anything goes, it doesn't matter, I'll just do whatever I want, when that attitude is present, then mindfulness knows that that's the attitude that's present. And so it actually sees, it begins to see what happens, how things play out. The, bare, the very foundation of wisdom from a, the Buddha's teachings is understanding cause and effect. Like, we always end up in moments feeling all entangled and burdened by life, but do we see clearly what the causes were to ending up in that entangled and heavy and burdened place? No. I mean, we think we know, oh yeah, you did it. You treated me this way and that's why I hurt. But one of the first steps is to realize that whenever we hurt, the causes are here. Where do we hurt? Well, we hurt here, in the heart, in the body, in the mind. It's here. So what's happening here that's supporting that experience of stress or resistance or despair or anxiety or fear or greed, lust? What is it that this mind, heart is doing? How is it seeing things? How is it relating? How is it understanding that's supporting or causing this heavy state of mind? So in order to understand that, to to be able to answer that question, we need to train the mind to be observant of what's going on. When the mind is like this, what could set in motion? When I'm impatient, what could set in motion? When there's patience in the mind, what could set in motion? When there's kindness in the mind, relating to the body in a kind way, like we did tonight, what could set in motion? Like, what's the taste after doing that for ten minutes? What's the flavor of the body and mind after doing that for 10 minutes? As opposed to kind of hating our body for 10 minutes. What's the effect of that? What's left over when we're done with that? So it's a very systematic study of cause and effect. But we're, what we're really interested in is what is the effect of our different attitudes or different ways of relating to the present moment? And as it turns out, according to the way the Buddha taught, and from my own experience, and I bet you find the same thing, one of the most potent causes for our emotional state or our state of happiness or unhappiness is how the mind is relating to the present moment. So, 
that just sets up this basic shift now in practice. So in the beginning, we really emphasize an anchor, being attentive to the breath, knowing the breath as it comes in, knowing the sensations of the breath as it goes out. So some of you have been training with your breath. Some of you have been training with the predominant sensations of sitting as your primary anchor. And some of you probably are training with hearing as your primary anchor. So we're taking some relatively neutral and simple, ordinary aspect of experience, hearing, feeling the body sitting, or whatever's predominant in the experience of sitting, or feeling specifically the sensations of the breath moving in the body. So we choose one of those as an anchor, and we're simply training to keep the present moment in mind using the anchor as a convenience. So if I just said, don't forget the present moment, we'd immediately be lost in thought. What does he mean that by that? <laughs> you know, so that means thinking but not being mindful that you're thinking. So if I say instead of just be mindful or just be aware of the present moment, I say, there is a breath moving in the body, right? There is that experience of the abdomen expanding and the abdomen contracting. Or there is that actual touching experience as the air goes in the nostrils and that actual touching sensation as the air goes out of the nostrils. See if you can remember to know that sensation continuously. It's really hard. But at least... It's a training that we can understand. Okay. And then when we forget to notice the next moment of sensation at the nostrils, we just start again. Or the next moment of feeling the body sitting. Or the next moment of hearing. So the initial training, and it's not like we're going to stop this initial training. We're just adding something on it, onto it. So the initial training is keeping the present moment in mind and appreciating the value of having an anchor to help in that basic training of keeping the present moment in mind. And even during our daily life, when we're not formally meditating, we can still use the anchors that we've developed in our formal sitting time, like breathing, like you're totally lost in thought, getting pushed around because of your, you know, the habits in the mind. And then you recognize, there's a moment of mindfulness, and you recognize how stressed, tight the body and mind are. And so you might just, as you do whatever you're doing next, be aware of the breath coming in, being aware of the breath going out. Because if you're really fully present with the breathing process, you're also going to be aware of whatever else is going on in the moment. Because the mindfulness we're cultivating is an inclusive awareness. It's not an exclusive awareness. This is why we don't often use the word focus. Although there's some... Uh, there is something about what we do that relates to the word focus, but generally when we use the word focus, we're thinking about an exclusive attention. Like I'm really focusing on this and I'm unaware of everything else. But with the more, uh, a more long-term useful strategy for mindfulness is a more open attention. So I might be able to remember the sensations of the breath coming in and going out but I'm not pushing away any other experience that might be arising in the present moment. So I might also, in the periphery, hear the bus driving by. Or I might also be able to notice the qualities in the mind. Like as I'm knowing the breath coming in, I might notice a little impatience. Or I might notice a little patience right there. 
So it's an inclusive attention. Breathing in, you can feel the whole body breathing in. Even though you're aware of the touching or the movement of the belly as it expands and contracts, you're not unaware of the rest of the body or the activity of the mind. So it's very useful for all of us, even those of us who've been practicing over 30 years, to use anchors, to train the mind in remembering the present moment by using a particular anchor. And as we have some continuity of mindful awareness with some object, like the breath, like hearing, like the sensations of the body or pain in the knees or whatever it might be, then a secondary or a related training is getting interested in how the mind is relating to the anchor. So in a sense, you can't actually separate these two things out, but it's really helpful It's like two different perspectives on the same thing. Like, for example, if I'm being mindful of my breath coming in and mindful of my breath going out, just as an example of something you might be mindful of. So I'm aware, breathing in, I'm aware the breath is coming in. And breathing out, I'm aware the breath is going out. But I can also be aware of the mind that's knowing the breath. Like, how is that mind? Is it relaxed or is it tight? Is it greedy, like really trying to know the breath, really wanting to be the best person in the room knowing the breath? Or is it aversive of the breath? Is it dull or is it bright? So in a sense, there's two things, just in a sense. There's the object that's being known and there are the qualities of the mind that's knowing the object. Now remember, sometimes the object is a mental activity. Objects aren't always physical things like a sight or a sound or a smell, a taste or a touch, an object could be knowing that there's thinking going on or knowing that there's sadness. But how is the mind knowing the sadness? With acceptance or with aversion? With judgment or non-judgment? With clarity or with dullness? So I'm just bringing this out. This is another more, uh, it's like a refinement in the practice. Don't worry about the second piece so much. It's just like I've planted a seed in our minds. So we stick with the keeping the present moment in mind and using the anchor to help keep the present moment in mind. But get interested from time to time in the mind that's knowing the anchor, whatever it is. Or if your mind's distracted in that moment, the mind that's knowing the distraction or knowing that the mind is distracted. What is that mind? How is that mind? What are the qualities there? Is it an expansive mind or a tight mind? Relaxed or contracted? And you can actually ask these questions in your mind from time to time. Not in an obsessive way, but, you know, how's the mind doing? So you're there, you, you have some continuity, mindfulness of the body or mindfulness of the breathing process, And then it just occurs to you, well, how's the mind doing? What's the mind doing? How's it relating to the breath or to the sensations of the body? Wholesome qualities or unwholesome qualities? Is there greed in the mind? Is there aversion in the mind? Or kindness? Simplicity or acceptance, contentment? And you see, these are exactly what we should be interested in. joked, I don't know if it was last week or maybe the first week, that truly the most amazing thing 
is that all of us, we've had a mind, a heart, or whatever you want to call this, our whole life, but we haven't been that interested in it, which is really the most amazing thing. I mean, when you think about all the stupid television shows we've been interested in, or silly magazine articles we've been interested in, or all the ways we've used our time, and yet how rarely we've been directly, immediately interested in what is the nature of this knowing apparatus, feeling apparatus here. What is this? We have this, I think, terrible arrogance of thinking we already know what the heart and mind is, so why look? It's me, right? It's like, but that doesn't mean we know what it is. The fact that we have a label, me, right? What is the heart and mind? What's it doing? And what's the effect of that doing? That we haven't really done. And that's really at the heart of mindfulness practice. It's not so much about being mindful about external things. We use external things like seeing a beautiful tree or hearing the sound of a bird or tasting our cocoa when we drink it. We use these simple experiences to help keep the present moment in mind because we're really interested in mindfulness of the mind itself or mindfulness of the heart itself. But it's so much more subtle than tasting the heat and sweetness of cocoa or seeing or hearing or feeling the breath moving in the body. These things are relatively concrete, relatively easy to be mindful of. It's much harder to be mindful of the mind because it's ephemeral and there's a lot of I don't know if you'd call them defenses or there are a lot of habits that basically say don't look there, don't bother, you don't need to get to know the mind. A little bit, I think I mentioned this in the previous week, like that scene from The Wizard of Oz, Oz play, pay no attention to the person behind the curtain. And it's the same thing like you don't want to look there. And you might notice, I bet some of you have, that when you're practicing you can feel a little self-conscious or a little like that it's, it's tight or I'm doing something wrong by paying such close attention to my actual experience. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. It's like we're doing something dirty or something. Really, it comes up in people. And we want to cultivate just the opposite attitude like, oh, this is the most healthy thing in the world. To be walking around living my life, not just our formal meditation, but walking around living our life but tracking the inner experience of the heart or the mind, like what the mind is doing and what that's setting in motion. How is what the mind is doing or how the mind is relating, how is that affecting what's going on, the life that's being lived? Because as I mentioned, and you could just have this as a hypothesis, it's actually the most important thing. You might think that the most important thing is that I was born with this kind of privilege or in this sort of oppressive situation. But even more important than sort of these circumstantial things in our lives, which are definitely important, is what the mind, how the mind relates, what the mind does with that stuff. And if we don't use this capacity to pay attention, to be present, and turn it back on the mind itself, we miss a really the most important opportunity. So let's, before we stretch out, 
Let's just experiment with the difference between just a purely external orientation. I'm at Common Ground, I'm listening to Mark give a talk about mindfulness practice. And knowing that, but knowing that there's a heart right now or a mind right now that's relating to this, what we'd call the external experience of what we see and what we're hearing and what we're feeling in the body. There's a mind that's knowing it, right? This, whatever it is for each of us, this is being known. This experience of sitting is being known. Whatever attitude we have now in the mind, that attitude can be known. That mood, even if it's nondescript, that nondescriptness can be known, is being known. So this is what we mean by mindfulness of the mind or mindfulness of the heart. We're sustaining this, we want a continuous awareness of the mind that's knowing, the qualities of the mind that's knowing, and what that sets in motion. That's what we mean, you know, when we talk about what's skillful or unskillful or what's wholesome or unwholesome, we're talking about this in a very pragmatic way. We're not talking about it in abstract terms. So whatever skillful is, when our mind is relating in a skillful way, that means that way of relating to experience leads to the heart or the mind releasing tension, releasing any weight, any entanglement. And when we say some way of relating is unskillful, it means that the attitude or the way I'm understanding or the way I'm relating to my experience is going to lead to the heart or mind getting entangled, getting heavy, getting reactive, getting contracted. So we generally, in terms of what's skillful and unskillful, we don't, you know, it wouldn't be right to say the pain in my knee is unskillful because that's just throbbing or burning or twisting. It's just those sensations. They're neither, those sensations are neither skillful nor unskillful. They may be unpleasant or they may be pleasant, but there's nothing inherently unskillful about pain. What makes pain a problem is when the mind relates to the pain by creating a sense of me who hates that pain. Now, all of a sudden, the mind is adding on top of the unpleasantness of the pain in the knee a contracted mind state. I hate this pain. Why is it happening to me? It's not fair. So not only is there mental stress right now and how I'm relating to the pain in my knee, but it's setting in motion an entanglement, right? The mind's going to end up proliferating looking for somebody to blame for the pain in my knee. Maybe I'll blame myself for what I did when, you know, when I was used to run all the time or, you know, whatever. But it's, it's like endless thinking, all of which is stressful. So if we see that, we say that's unskillful because it's unnecessary suffering. It's unnecessary stress, the way I'm relating to the pain. If I just relate to the knee pain, in an honest, clear, kind way, the mind recognizes there's knee pain. It's unpleasant. It's like this. Well, can that be okay? Do I need to add anything on? If there's something to do, well, do it. If there's nothing you're going to do now about it, then there's nothing you're going to do about it now. So it keeps it really simple. I don't need to create a whole story 
about what's unpleasant or about what's pleasant. And that's how we know the difference between skillful and unskillful. And generally, what's unskillful usually involves greed and aversion. It's some, it's some expression of wanting things to be different than they are. And the way we want things to be different than they are is either we ignore it, pretend it ain't there, or we lean forward into what we think would be so much nicer, or we try to beat it up or destroy it or hide from it. So these are basically greed, anger, and delusion. Delusion is just another word for distraction or denial or pretending it isn't there when it's there. And you'll notice over and over and over and over and over again that whenever there's mental stress, whenever things in the heart and mind feel bound up and heavy, there's always greed, anger, or delusion around. And whenever the heart or the mind feels quite light and responsive and engaged and awake, there's non-greed, non-anger, and non-delusion there, the opposite. And in Buddhism, they're called the three wholesome and the three unwholesome roots. And so this is something you can directly begin to see, both in your formal sitting practice and then through your day. So we're doing two things. We're tracking present moment experience. When we have enough continuity with the tracking of present moment experience, we're able to do the second thing, which is to simply get interested in the mind that's tracking the present moment experience. How's that mind doing? Is there greed there or non-greed? You know, non-greed is just contentment or contentment with the way things are or simplicity or willingness to let go. That's what non-greed is. Is there aversion in the mind, fear, or non-aversion, which is kindness and patience and compassion? Is there delusion, like pretending it isn't the way it is, in denial, or non-delusion, which is clarity, seeing things as they actually are? These are questions we can ask ourselves all day long and in our sits. We're tracking the present moment experience and we're interested in what the mind is doing, what the mind is setting in motion through its particular attitude in that moment. Any questions about this before we stretch out? Good, why don't we stand and stretch out a little bit and then we'll sit. And then we'll take the last 10 or 15 minutes for any questions and uh, comments from your practice over the last week. And maybe while we're standing, I'll check in and see if anybody did any walking meditation practice. Anybody try it out this last week? Maybe one or two. So try it out. It's really important that you're not always thinking of mindfulness Meditation practice is a sitting practice. We really want to see it as a lifestyle, not something we do 30 minutes once a day. We do it 30 minutes once a day because that formal time is a time to get some momentum because we're picking optimal conditions. When we feel awake, when nobody's bothering us, when we can be in a secluded space. So in those relatively simple circumstances, we get some momentum. So experiment with walking meditation, and there's instructions in that collection that you can get and read through. But basically, just find a place where you have at least 10 steps. It'd be nicer to have 20, where you can walk from one end to the next, stop, 
mindfully know you're standing, turn around, know that experience of turning around, stand for a second or two, know you're just standing there, and then walk, placing, placing, placing. Just know the physicality of the body as it walks. So bring the attention down into the legs and feet. So instead of using the breath as an anchor or hearing as an anchor, the physicality of the walking, the legs, the feet and legs, that's the anchor. Now, we're going to know a lot of other things too, right? Thoughts will still come and go, we'll see things, but we're tracking the present moment through this connection with the physicality of walking. And then if a big emotional storm or interesting thoughts come, just stop right there, wherever you are, and just notice, oh, thinking, it's just thinking, it's just this. So that distractions don't become a problem, just like in our sitting practice. We don't want to make distraction a problem. It's just another thing that's being known now. So the tracking, using the anchor, has been interrupted. Something has come in and, in a sense, demanded our attention. It's like right there. It would be stressful to say, no, no, I have to be with the breath. So then just acknowledge, okay, this is what's being known in this moment. It's just this pain in the knee or this you know, beautiful memory or this painful memory being known. It's just a thought being known or just sensation being known. So we're right back tracking the present moment. And then if there's some stability, then just check. Well, how's the mind doing? Is there aversion in the knowing of this or greed in the knowing of this? It doesn't have to be a big investigation. Just, you know, sort of like you're just flipping the perspective from looking at the breath to looking at the mind that's knowing the breath. And then you can go right back to knowing the breath or knowing the primary object. So why don't we sit down and we'll practice. And because we've been reviewing a lot of the instructions, I'll give very few instructions during the sitting time. Just sit in a way that's comfortable for you. Do what you can to cultivate an uprightness in the spine. So you have a sense of sitting upright in the middle of your experience. When you feel ready, you might want to take a couple of long and easy breaths. Really take your time filling and emptying the lungs a few times. This is a nice, simple way to come more fully into the experience of the body, breathing in, feeling the body as you fill the lungs, breathing out, feeling the body just as it is as you empty the lungs. And one more time, in and out. Eventually letting the breath continue on its own. And we'll practice receiving the sound of the bell.
taking another moment or two and being with the experience of hearing. Allowing the mind to be completely receptive to the sounds that are coming and going. And we bring that same receptivity as we receive the sensations of the body sitting. So in the most simple and direct way, aware of the sensations of the body now as they are willing to be intimate with the sensations of the body. And for those who practice, train with the sensations of the breath in the body, then just right there in the experience of the body, notice the movement of the breath. Breathing in is like this. Breathing out is like this. Breathing in is being known. Breathing out is being known. And you can even use a phrase in the mind if it helps in the tracking of present moment awareness. Is it possible to be interested in the anchor as it is moment by moment by moment? Interested but relaxed.
be willing to begin again and again by simply recognizing it's like this now. Remember, don't be afraid of distraction in the moment that you notice that the mind has been caught in thought, for example. That's a moment of mindfulness, the mind being aware, oh, thinking, just thinking, being known.
Notice what the mind's doing, how the mind is. Is the mind restless or calm? Greedy, wanting something to happen? Or content? Aversive or fearful or kind? Just notice the qualities, the quality of the mind that's present with the breath, present with distraction or whatever is being known. We'll sit for another few minutes. Remember that pain, physical discomfort, is a very potent part of our meditation practice. If you can sit in a relaxed way and pain arises, then you might need to let it be the object of awareness. So you might need to drop the particular anchor of the breath or the body generally or hearing and let the mindfulness know the painful sensations themselves. Oh, it's like this. It's just these unpleasant sensations being known. Clearly aware and relaxed, notice the change, the change of the sensations themselves, like an unfolding or a river Not a constant, but a changing flow of unpleasantness. Can this be okay? And notice the habit of wanting to add a contracted mind state on top of the unpleasant sensations of the body. And instead, though, see if the mind can relate in a wholesome way to the painful sensations so as not to add anything. There's a lot to be learned with physical pain. But when you lose it and you're just reacting or just struggling, then quietly adjust the body to release the painful sensations if you can. And then once again, let the body come back to stillness when you're ready.
So take a couple moments and stretch out your body as you need to to relieve any tension. I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks, it's really valuable for people to hear from each other what you've been learning, what's been really challenging or seemingly difficult for you, what's felt like a good set, insights that you feel like that are arising for you, or any questions you have about the instructions. So what comes to mind? Say your name, please. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I, I get that it's a struggle, but uh, how much, like, just do a simple experiment, put, put our hand out in a, in a way, and, and notice how much effort it is to remember the sensations of the hand. So, because the effort is just remembering that the sensation, we don't really care what the sensations of the hand are, right? Because we're going to receive the sensations of the hand, however light and ephemeral or painful they might be. So, just let's just take 30 seconds and see how much effort is it to remember the sensations, remember that the hand has sensations, moment by moment by moment. So clearly there is some effort because, you know, the mind's habit is to think and to plan and to worry and to judge and to, you know, all the things that the mind does. But we just start again and then it goes off and does what it does and we start again and it goes off and does what it does and we start again. So don't worry, like, don't make it a bad thing if you're returning to your anchor hundreds of times in a 30-minute set. Because that's the training, to start over again. We don't expect they, uh, like the continuity to be perfect. If it were, that would be great. But, it, you know, we give ourselves to the training, however distracted, you know, the mind is. And so much of what we're training is in that moment where we've noticed that the mind isn't with the anchor, it's doing something, that attitude is so, that's such an important moment in practice, like not to hate ourselves or judge ourselves, right? Because in that moment, the mind is doing what it's supposed to do. It's like remembering, oh, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's being known. So this is not the time to be scolding. We should be very appreciative. The mind is now back in the present moment. And when the mind is not in the present moment, you don't know you're not there, right? So no need to scold there either. You can't because you don't know you're not present. So there's really no need <coughs> for frustration or judgment or impatience. Just start over again. 
and be appreciative of that now, the mind is mindful. So, oh yeah, there's a body sitting, there's a breath moving in the body, there's sounds being heard, thoughts being known. This is how it is now. And part of it is like cultivating a gratitude for the moments of mindfulness that do arise, instead of all the moments of we, we imagine of not being mindful, you know. Because we tend to have, a lot of us, just programmed in that critical mind. And we always set up for failure that way, right? Oh, this, isn't, this is not happening. This is not going to work. I'll do it later when I retire. Or I'll do it, you know, we, we put it on. Instead of just appreciating the training. And like anybody who has any great competence, whether they're an artist or an athlete or whatever it is, All of it, it always begins in this way, just starting, and then starting again, and just doing the training, because it has an effect on the mind. Tracking the present moment sets in motion all kinds of wonderful things. Not being aware of the present moment in a continuous way means that basically we're destined to live out our habits, whatever they might be, good or bad. We're never going to learn anything. Learning, in a deeper sense, requires a continuity of mindfulness. We have to see what's happening and what that sets in motion. That's how things really change. So we give ourselves to the training. What else are we going to do in life that has more value than actually training the mind to be present to life? It's just the most commonsensical thing to do. And you're absolutely right, it's hard. Sometimes it will be easier, and that would be very interesting to investigate, like, you know, there's a migratory bird that shows up in your backyard, and uh, you're just riveted, looking out the back window, body's calm, mind is calm, fully alert, completely continuous, you know, your child could be screaming in the background, but you don't care, <laughs> you just there it. So... But what, what is it about that experience that makes that even, clear, relaxed presence so easy? Well, it's interesting. The mind's interested. So does the breath have to be interesting or can the mind be interested in the ordinary breath? You know, the kind of interest we have when we see something for the first time, is that available when we're aware of the next breath, you know, after having seen so many breaths before, can we have that fresh, full, interested presence? Because when we're actually interested, the continuity comes a lot more easily. So how can we be interested in the present moment? Well, one way is like to understand more of the teachings, like to realize that this is all there is, See, from a diluted point of view, we think there's this huge thing we call the past and there's this huge thing we call the future. But the more we reflect, the more we realize there is absolutely no past. Not only is there not earlier this afternoon, does not exist, but even the previous moment to this moment doesn't exist anymore. It is literally non-existent. And the future is absolutely nowhere. We imagine I have an idea in the moment 
And I imagine that that, that that idea is out there somewhere we call the future. But there is absolutely no future. There's no past. There's just this. It's very thin in a funny sort of way, the present moment. And this moment has to disintegrate in order for the next moment to appear. It's so extraordinary, this thing we call reality or life or whatever, but we just miss it. So we have to find a way to be interested in the present moment. It is in this moment we are creating the future. We are setting the future in motion. If we want to be happy, this is the place to pay attention, like what the mind is doing now. Because the next moment, the future, is going to be conditioned by this moment. So if I'm angry in this moment, the anger in this moment is conditioning the next moment of my existence. And on and on and on like that. So these are the kind of stories we want to, or ideas we want to reflect on, because it, if, if they work more right, we get interested in the present moment. And we're interested in any way that can develop this present moment awareness, even if it means coming back to the breath, coming back to the experience of the body. Later, once you get some more momentum in your practice, you realize how safe it is to be present and how literally dangerous it is to not be present. We end up doing stupid things when we're not present that can cause ourselves and others a lot of harm simply because we weren't in the moment aware of what was at play in the moment. Anger is brewing in our heart, but we're not mindful of it. And all of a sudden we lash out at somebody we care about and they're out of there, you know? And it's too late. It's not like you can reel those words back in. So when we think of the destructive things that we've been part of and other people have been part of, they always arise because people aren't being fully mindful. So any way you can get yourself inspired to do this practice, I guarantee you, it will be for your benefit. But she's right. It's not easy to train the mind that's in the habit of not being mindful to be mindful. We have to be committed. That's why I really encourage you to stick out the six weeks, give yourself to the six weeks, before you decide whether this is something of value in your life. Thanks for bringing that up. Other thoughts that come to mind? Questions or comments? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're kind of, uh, we do respond to our environment. So when you're in this kind of environment with a lot of like-minded people, people with the same interest, it's going to be easier. But it isn't about how easy it is, it's about how much you learn. So in those moments when you're practicing all alone by yourself, you might end up learning a lot even though it's much less pleasant, seemingly less momentum than when you're here with a group of people. So don't assume you're actually learning less because the mind is more messy, it's more all over the place, and you have to come back and come back and come back, and you're gone for longer periods of time, and you're noticing a lot of doubt and a lot of frustration. But it might be really good to see those psychological patterns or habits, like how doubt tends to arise in my mind when I don't have immediate success, or how this pattern comes up in my mind, you know, wanting to give up, or wanting to judge myself, hate myself. So those are really important lessons. They're not pleasant lessons, but they're really important lessons. So first, don't assume you're not learning a lot just because it's more difficult. And then the second thing is, you might be able to cultivate 
a sense of not being alone. There are a lot of people who are deeply connected, deeply respectful of this practice. All over the world. Who knows where else? So at any time, there are a lot of people practicing, either on the fly in daily life or sitting. They're just not in the room with you. But you can bring up the fact that there have been countless people who have devoted themselves to the cultivation of mindfulness. And the reason the world is not more crazy than it is is because of the wisdom and compassion that human beings have been able to manifest because of being present in life. And we can be so grateful and knowing that there are other people who are doing this difficult work and that we're part of this great lineage. Like the fact that we even know about this practice is because there were women and men who have done it before us. They had busy lives. They had to practice alone. You know, and now we're the recipient. Now it's our turn to do the best we can in our lives. So come to Kamagram. And there are a lot of other Buddhist meditation centers in town too, where you can where they have open sit. So we have an open sit every morning from six thirty to nine. You can come for any half an hour period or more, several half an hour periods of that. Top or bottom of the hour you enter here in the meditation hall. Then Tuesday evenings, like you notice in the community room, there's a Tuesday evening open sit, drop in sit between seven thirty and nine, same hours as the intro class. Always happens on Tuesday night. And then Sunday morning, it's 8 to 10. So Monday through Saturday, it's 6.30 to 9. And Sunday morning, 8 to 10. And there are always a few people here for those sits. Sometimes 10, sometimes 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And this will be the last comment or question. Yeah, it's a good question. So she's asking about physical pain and whether to go to turn toward it with awareness or to do something else. And uh, when there's a lot of momentum, which just means that the mind is, the attention or the awareness is steady, relaxed, and clear, right? Those two qualities of alertness and relaxation. So when the awareness, the mindfulness is steady, then basically the object of awareness should be whatever is predominant. So generally, if there's a lot of pain, that's the predominant thing happening in the moment. So then that's the meditation object when you can be steady with it and unafraid. And then, yes, it's not even so much that you investigate the pain, but in the space of that even, clear, relaxed, mindful presence, the pain presents itself, wherever it is in the body, or it could be emotional pain too, right? It expresses itself, it reveals itself in a sense. It reveals itself as being a changing, unfolding phenomena. It reveals itself as that as something that is always painful or always more painful when you identify with it, when you take it personally. My pain. I don't like this pain. You start to be averse to it. It gets worse. How interesting, right? When I just let it be what it is, it's tolerable. When I want it to go away, it's intolerable. It's so interesting. We learn a lot from pain. So when you can be steady with it, then just let pain be the meditation object When you can't be steady with it, then redirect your attention to something that's more neutral than the pain. So pain, we learn a lot, but we don't always have enough steadiness, or even if we had enough steadiness, we might then get exhausted being with the pain. It's intense being with pain, as you might imagine, especially if it's strong pain. 
So then go back to the breath or go to hearing. That's a nice spacious. So you're purposefully not directing your attention to the painful sensations, even though they may be what's predominant, the big thing in the room or the big thing in your mind. But honey, we're just not going to pay attention to those sensations right now because I'm just going to evoke aversion if I do or some kind of reactive pattern. If that doesn't work, then you might need to move the body. But you know, sometimes pain will arise and there's nothing we can do about it. So it's really good practice in our formal sitting time that when emotional pain or physical pain arises, don't immediately take the easy way out. Practice being with it so you gain some skill of being with difficult experience. That is a useful thing. And it it takes us all the way. The Buddha said this very clearly Pain will take you all the way. Mindfulness of pain. Because we have so much psychological conditioning around pain. Right? The thing we're most certain about is pain is bad. Right? But is pain actually bad? No. It's just painful. It's just unpleasant. It's neither good nor bad. It's just unpleasant. That's what pain is. But we make it bad because we're told it's bad or we've decided it's bad. And so then what do we do when pain arises? We get tight, which is more pain. It's really insane that we tighten up around pain. It seems functional, doesn't it, to tighten up around pain? But is it? Now this is an answer you can directly explore in your life, both your formal sitting time and then during your daily life. Is it actually functional, helpful in any way to get tight, to be aversive, to pain. Does it help you or anybody to get tight around pain? Simple things like when you bang your head or stub your toe and then the instinct will be to get tight around it. Does that help? They've done exper- you know, psychological experiments with mostly college kids. Right? They're always the guinea pigs. Around things like one... Well, I, I'll tell you next week because it's a few minutes after so we need to end here. But you can do this experiment because everyone's going to bump into pain. So just see, like, be fully present, leave it alone, and see what happens, and resist it, deny it, struggle with it, see what happens, see what's better. So remember, next week you may not want to come back, but give it six weeks. And if you have a few minutes, all these folding chairs need to go down the stairs to the right, to the right. Have a good week, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.